Uh, I am afraid that much of what we think we know about heaven and hell we got from Saturday morning cartoons. I'm, I'm very serious about that. I wish it was more of a joke, at least for those who are my age and above. For those who are my age and under, we probably not learned anything about these two things because it certainly wasn't on cartoons in the last couple of decades. Um, so some of you, I, I'm going to just preface this by saying some of you will disagree with me. Some of you will be upset by what I'm going to say. Some of you will be a little bit concerned. Others will learn new things. And maybe I'll hit all those buttons before we get done today. Uh, but bear with me for just a few minutes as we try and do kind of a, a broad strokes on, on heaven. To begin with, I want to cover a few falsehoods. This is the part where everyone gets angry. Um, we will not float on clouds in heaven. That is, that is not a real thing, okay? Uh, we do not get harps. We don't get halos. Halos are actually not mentioned in the scriptures. They're actually a pagan ritual. Just interesting little side note. We do not become angels. This one's actually really important to me. Um, we don't die because God needs another angel. We don't become angels. Angels are created beings. They're separate and different from us. And we do not become angels. I want to make that abundantly clear. We do not have a mansion prepared for us. Now, that is the word that King James uses. Technically, that word is abode. There is a place for us, but we're not, we don't have our own mansion built. That's a beautiful hymn, but not quite accurate. There are not levels of heaven according to how good you were here on earth. I've heard this before, too. That there's, that's kind of a play off of Dante's um, works that uh, was it seven or nine levels of hell. Uh, and uh, that, that doesn't correspond. Well, A, that's not true either. And B, that doesn't correspond with heaven. I've heard that before, too. There's multiple levels of heaven. That's, that's inaccurate. We will not be married. Matthew 22 and 30 says that the resurrection, this is Jesus speaking, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like angels in heaven. So, assumingly unmarried. We will not sit around partaking in our favorite activity. Heaven is not endless fishing or endless sports watching or playing or endless whatever that we want to think that it will be. This was also very important. Uh, those who are in heaven do not guide us, do not talk to us, do not do things for us or with us, and do not communicate with us. When you get the reward that Christ has purchased for you and you go to heaven, you do not come back to earth to guide people. You're not a spirit that guides people. We don't pray to you. You will not speak to us. You are not here. You are actually there. It's an entirely different concept. Heaven is not a never-ending church service. Some of you are very thankful for that. There is no purgatory. Purgatory is something that was made up. It is a lie. You are either absent. You are either here or you are with God or you are in hell. There is no in-between. There is no earning heaven, which means there is no second chance, which brings me to the last 
and perhaps harshest truth about heaven. Not everybody goes there. Scripture says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Now, real quick, let me just hit a couple of these high points real quick. We do not become angels. We don't play in the clouds. We don't spend our days endlessly doing whatever we find pleasure here on earth. Um, it's not an ever-ending church service, and not everyone goes to heaven. Now, these are things that we like to encourage and tell people sometimes during difficult times where we're sure they went to heaven. We can't say that. And we think they became an angel. That's not true. Or that they're always here with us. They're not. Now you can, your memories can have them, but they are not themselves here, nor would they want to be here. So now that I've really ruined a whole bunch of views of heaven... Let me bring up a few more things, and this is in the category of we don't know. You ready? How big is heaven? Big. I have no idea. Uh, Very large, it seems. Will we remember our earthly lives here when we get to heaven? I I don't know. This is a hard one. If we do, will we remember the bad things like sin and things like that? I I don't know. I'll just be honest. There's some debate on that. What language will be spoken in heaven? Clearly English. Okay. (laughs) Good. Everyone laughed. (laughs) Uh, I have no idea. Uh, One thing we're pretty certain about is that... um, There's a couple times Paul, uh, the Apostle Paul, talks about tongues of angels. This isn't necessarily referring to a angel language as much as it is um, the idea that there's other things, other languages spoken. Uh, We have no idea. Again, I doubt it will be English for many, many reasons. Um, I don't know what language we will speak. Will we cry in heaven? We'll bring that one up later. Will there be time? This one actually kind of Again, this is why it's better for like a four or five week session on a Sunday night. Um, I, don't, I don't know about time. Time is very interesting. There's actually lots of references to time in heaven. Like a lot of references about there being time. There's silence in heaven for about half an hour. Was that because um, the one who was taken up didn't know how else to describe it? I, I, I have no idea. Uh, time is something that is created. God is outside of time. We do know that. Uh, but he also created time in the beginning and said it was good. So will that remain? I, I have no idea, but it's an interesting question. Will we eat or sleep? If we eat or sleep, it won't be because we have to. Right? See, we sleep to recover for our body to be made new because of sin, because it's is degrading. So if we sleep, it won't be because we have to. There's some indication that we will eat. In fact, when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, he says he will not do it again until we come into his kingdom. So it seems to be there might be some of that going on in heaven, but not because we have to. What age will we be? I have no idea. What if we have a young infant who dies? Will they grow to a certain age when they're in heaven? Will they, does that make sense? If, if we die, we're very elderly. Will we become younger again? Is, is there a 
perfect age? What will we look like? I don't know that either. Will we be overweight or underweight? Bald or hairy? I have no idea. Facial hair or clean shaven? Who knows? I don't know the answers to some of these. Okay, now that I've totally confused everybody and made some of you angry, I want to do one more thing just to separate some thoughts that we have here. And I'll get into heaven here in just a minute. Eventually, at the end of time, as we know it, there will be a new heaven and a new earth. And out of that new heaven will come a great city, the new Jerusalem. And it will be on earth. And it will be like heaven on earth. And this is where it goes by many names, the tabernacle of God, the holy city, the city of God, celestial city, the city for square, the heavenly Jerusalem. And those are talked about in Galatians, Hebrews, and Revelation. So this is the end of time. And what we know is that in that time is where we get a lot of the no mores. When that new Jerusalem comes after everything is all over and the world is no more and it's been made new, we see a series of things that will be no more. Let me read Revelation 21. Revelation 21 and 1. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away. And here we begin, and there was no more sea. I heard a great sermon on this one time. You know what the conclusion was? I have no idea what that means. Why no more ocean or sea? I don't know. But apparently there won't be. But it goes on. This is where we get a lot of our no mores from. Uh, that was 22 and... I'm sorry, chapter 21 and uh, 2. If we go on to verse 4, we get a couple other things. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. No more death, no more sorrow, nor crying. Neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. Now, what does that mean for heaven between now and then? I don't know. But at some point, there will be no more sea, no more tears, no more pain, no more crying. All of that will be passed away. It goes on and says there will be no more curse. And of course, there will be no more night. Because the light of our Lord and Savior will be all that is necessary to give us light. Notice it will end the same way it started. Light without the sun. As in the ball of fire in the sky. Because the light comes from the sun, Jesus Christ. And it's a beautiful image. This is where we get our saying that there will be streets of gold and gates made of a single pearl. That's 21 and 21. It also talks about the river of the water of life. And so we get a lot of our imagery of heaven from this, which is the new Jerusalem, which is heaven on earth, but is a little bit different than what we're talking about today. So if I haven't thoroughly confused you or offended you, let's talk about some of the things that we do no. Heaven is real. 
I almost feel like I could sit down and just end with that. Heaven is real. There is a real heaven. Now, jump ahead to next Sunday. There's a real hell as well. Heaven is real. It exists. I can't touch it. I don't know exactly where it's at other than to say it's up because that's what the language implies. It is massive. It was created by God. It is where God is. It is where, the right, where Jesus is seated at the right hand of God in heaven, in the throne room. It is real. The scripture says that it is real. And I believe the scriptures and stand upon the scriptures as my basis for what I believe. But beyond that, we are told, and I think rightfully understand, that we can base our knowledge on heaven on something more than just what the Scripture says. 2 Corinthians 5, 1-4. 2 Corinthians 5, 1-4 says, For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with the house which is from heaven. If so be that being clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we that are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened, not for what we would be unclothed, but clothed upon, that morality might be swallowed up in life. Here's the point that I'm trying to make, and I could go on. There are many other scriptures that describe this. God, in fact, one of my favorite is God has put eternity in our hearts. And we have discussed this before. That Listen, there is a reason that long before, and in places and corners of this world, before the true gospel ever got to anybody, man has stood and looked up unto something. Because there is something inside of our very nature that says there is more than what I am. When I look out at creation and I see the moon and the stars and the works of his hands and I can stand there and know that there is a God and he is bigger than me and there is something out there for me and that I don't really fit in here. Not only does the scripture tell us that heaven is real, that God is real, nature itself reveals it. And deep inside of us, we know there's something groaning, as it says here in 2 Corinthians, longing, desiring to find our true home, that place where we rightfully fit in with other believers in God. We know it's out there. You need to listen to yourself that tells you that heaven is real. There is something beyond us. And that is not a Sunday school story. That is not something that we say to make ourselves feel better about those who die. It is something that is vitally important for us as believers to know and understand and to share with other people who have yet to come to know Jesus Christ. Because that absence, that missing something inside of us is the gospel and what we ought to be and should be sharing to a lost and dying world. Heaven is real. Something else we know about it. It's where God is at. Isaiah 66 and 1 says, Thus saith the Lord, Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me? And what is the place of my rest? See, God is declaring and questions that can't be answered and basically saying that, look, heaven is where he's at and the earth is his footstool. Everything that goes on down here, he controls. Everything that goes on in this wide world that we have no idea about, all the discoveries that we have, all the good and the bad, everything that's going on, God is 
basically using it as a footstool. That's not to say that he's crushing it with his heel or anything like that, but designed to try to indicate to you in a visual sense that God has mastery over everything that's happening here and he is seated up in heaven. Jesus Christ is up there as well. It's the third thing. So heaven is real. God the Father is there, and Jesus Christ His Son is there, seated at the right hand of God. I have said this a few times, and hopefully everyone's heard it. We'll just make it clear. And even myself have said this from time to time. Jesus does not really live in my heart. He's seated at the right hand of God. Now, God and Jesus Christ are omnipresent, and so by a sense they are here everywhere, but they are primarily in heaven, and it's the Spirit of God who lives inside of us. Jesus promised to take his believers there. John 14. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. This is the word that would have better been described as abode. Or places. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. That's a promise. That's something that Jesus Christ not only told the people of that time, but I think applies to us today, that we do not have a reason to be troubled about our eternal future if we have our faith in Him, because He has gone and prepared a place for us. He is waiting for us to come to Him. But until that time, we have a duty and something to do now. So we talked about our missionaries this morning and those who are going out trying to spread the gospel. This is our job while we have breath, while we have energy to tell other people about Jesus Christ and to tell other people about heaven and the reward that he purchased for us so that they too can go and be with him. Heaven isn't going to run out of space. It doesn't get full. There's not going to be a fight to get in because he prepared a place. For you, because he wants you to be there with him, because he knows better than we possibly could this side of heaven that we don't really fit in here. That we don't belong here. Because he sent his son who walked on this earth for over 30 years. Who had no place to lay his head and no place to really fit in followed around by crowds of people, 12 of which never really got what he was getting at until it was too late, and one of which betrayed him. So he knows exactly what it's like. And that's why he can look then to them and say to us today, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe in me. Wow. It's a powerful statement. And he is telling us that he has prepared a place for us and he will come again and receive us unto him. So Jesus Christ is there, seated at the right hand of God, waiting for those who believe in him. And he promised to take us there. 
Something else that's also very important, as I kind of highlighted before, there is no such thing as uh, purgatory, which is this kind of in-between state where you're not really in heaven, but not really in hell. We know that based on several uh, verses and the fact that that's not even discussed in the scripture, but let me read 2 Corinthians 5 and 8. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the bodies to be present with the Lord. What do I think this verse means? I think that those who know Jesus Christ and the free pardon of sin, the moment that we are gone is the moment that we are present in heaven with him. There is no waiting period. There is no line. We are not standing outside of a pearly gate waiting to be judged as we see, like I said, on the cartoons all the time. All of this is absolute nonsense. If you know Jesus Christ and have been saved, the moment that you die is the moment that you appear in heaven before him. Immediately, to be absent from the bodies, to be present with Him. I kind of mentioned this already. Let's go over it quickly. Where is heaven? Well, heaven is high above the earth. It's what Psalms 103.11 says. It's some place from where God looks down. Psalms 14 and 2 talks about that. Jesus is described as ascending into heaven and descending from heaven in John 3.13. These and other passages lead us, rightfully so, to conclude that heaven is somewhere up there in the sky. But as I mentioned, it's not in the clouds. It's beyond that. It's bigger than space. It's beyond what we think we know. It's not like we're going to be floating out there you know, with a space shuttle looking down on this globe or something like that. We're well beyond any of this and any idea we have about what and where we think heaven is. And as I said, heaven is apparently large. Revelation 7, 9 says, For there before me was a great multitude that no one can count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb of God. Wouldn't it be wonderful to be there someday? All these people that we don't know, who don't look like us, who don't speak the same language as I began to talk about earlier. All these people from all over the world and all of history gathered together. If we think church is good... And it is. And thank you, sister, for your testimony about that. Imagine what heaven's going to be like. Just imagine. Whatever knowledge we do have will be good and perfect knowledge. Imagine, imagine instantly getting to know and meet people who had an impact on your life, whether you knew it or not. Because, you know, somebody gave the gospel to my parents and to theirs and to theirs and to theirs. Somebody died a horrible and excruciating death to give me the scripture that I have in front of me. And there are probably hundreds, if not thousands of people I've never heard of who died to give me the word of God. Won't it be great to know them and to meet them and to be able to say, thank you. Won't it be great to have people come up to you and say, you never knew, but I do think those are activities that will occur in heaven. Something else about heaven, there will be no more, no sin there. Now, this is really, really hard for us to wrap our head around because we don't understand what it's like to not be in sin any more than we understand what it's like not to breathe. 
any more than a fish can comprehend what it's like to not be in water. We just don't understand how much sin has impacted us. We have no idea how little we can actually use our minds because of sin. We have no idea what our bodies are capable of absent sin. Now, some of us may be sitting here today and say, well, I remember pretty well before I started hurting in my body. Okay. But even when we were young, we were still in sin and our body was still not perfect. The best you ever felt is probably nothing compared to what it will be like absent sin. The clearest you ever thought is nothing like what it will be like when you get to be there and be free from the burdens and the shackles of sin that the scriptures clearly tell us, us and the entire world, and including nature itself, are groaning for relief from sin. And we will be in a place where there is no more sin, no more lying, no more disappointments, no more physical pain, no more heartaches. All of that will be gone. We will receive a new body. And this is where it gets a little confusing, I'll be honest with you. A body that I think is both physical and spiritual. Because it talks about it, how we will be like Him. And what little do we know about Jesus Christ after He died and came back to life? Because His body was both physical. Remember, He came back to earth. He talked. He ate food. He walked with people. He also walked through walls. I don't really understand it, but I can tell you that we will have perfect bodies and I think perfect minds. This is very exciting. In fact, if you go back a few pages, well, I don't know where I left off. Lots of page turning today. 1 Corinthians 15 and 55, Paul finishes talking about getting a new body and he breaks out in rejoicing and a phrase we're very familiar with, 1 Corinthians 15 and 55, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is the victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which give us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the works of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. You see, the Apostle Paul understood that someday we leave this body behind and all of the limitations that it has and we move on to something higher and death no longer has a victory over us because we have overcome because Jesus Christ overcame for us. We will have a new body, no longer limited, no longer suffering with sin. No longer having to struggle between doing the right thing and the wrong thing. Maybe we can try and imagine that. Imagine waking up and not having to try to do the right thing anymore. <laughs> what a glorious day that would be. Something else we know about heaven. We get rewarded for our activities on earth. How about that? 1 Corinthians 3.14 If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. In Revelation 22 and 12, Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. In fact, there are at least five crowns that are mentioned, and we think they're probably unique given the language. There's an imperishable crown, 
a crown of rejoicing, a crown of righteousness, a crown of glory, and a crown of life. Brothers and sisters, what you do on this earth actually matters. It matters to those who need to hear the gospel. It matters to our Lord and Savior who demands, respects, and requires and is a due obedience to do the things that he wants us to do. And there is some type of reward in heaven for those who have been obedient. Do you know what we do with those rewards? We, we proudly wear them around and brag about them, right? Yeah, I don't think so. I think we'll join the 24 elders who cast their crowns before an almighty God and say, oh, holy, holy God. But that doesn't mean we should stop working here. Work so there is something to cast before an almighty God. Something else I think about heaven. I think it's likely we're going to know relatives and perhaps other people. But I do want to make one caveat with this. Just as I said, we're not going to go to heaven and sit around playing sports all day or fishing. The goal in going into heaven isn't to get to see your grandmother, your grandfather, your brother, your sister, your uncle again. The goal of going to heaven isn't so that you can sit down with Job and ask him, how did you do it? The goal of heaven isn't to sit down and say to Moses, well, can you speak now or could you not speak then? Or, or what's going on here? Why did you think you could kill that one guy and get away with it? I mean, you, you could sit here forever and it's fun and enjoyable to think about the things that we want to ask people when we get to heaven. And I hope we get to have that opportunity. But listen, that is nothing compared to the reason we're actually there. But I do think we will get to commune and be with those who we've known here and even those who we haven't known, but we will have certainly a fellowship with. So what will we do? Well, a couple of things seem pretty clear. One, we will worship. Matthew 4.10, you will worship the Lord your God. Now, is that directly talking about heaven? No. But listen, if we're supposed to worship him here, I guarantee you we'll be doing it there. Does that mean we'll be singing all day? No, I actually don't think so. We misconstrue the concept of worship constantly. Worship is more than singing. You can go back and listen to some sermons that I've done a whole series on worship. Worship is far more than singing. But I think we will be worshiping God. How could we not? When we no longer feel pain, when we're no longer suffering, when we're in a clear and right mind, when we're standing before an almighty God who made everything, in a place that is perfect and without sin, how could we do anything but say praise God and worship Him? I think we'll also serve Him. In fact, Revelation 22 and 3, talking about the Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem, says that we will serve Him. Now that might bring with it this idea that we're going to like, you know, bring God trays of food or something. That's not what he's talking about. That's, he doesn't need food, doesn't need anything from us. But we will serve him by doing whatever it is that he wants to do and by bringing him good pleasure. How do we bring God good pleasure? We we'll dwell together in unity and love each other and love him. First Corinthians Thirteen and twelve, First Corinthians thirteen and twelve. Y'all didn't know there was so much uh, about heaven in the Corinthian letters, did you? I think there is. First Corinthians thirteen and twelve. Of course, that's the bottom of the love chapter, which we talked about recently. 
Now we see this part. For now we see as through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know even as I also am known. This is a deep, deep passage that tells us a tremendous about the future. I am unable to know God in his greatness. If I was to, if God was to reveal his full glory to me, I'd be gone. Couldn't handle it. It'd kill me. I am only able to see partially this side of eternity, who and what God really is. It's like looking in a mirror dimly. I can get a faint outline if I try my hardest, if I work as hard as I can to remove sin from my life, and I focused as hard as I can on serving and worshiping Him, I can begin to kind of get the outline while I'm here. But someday I will know Him as He knows me, and that is in perfection. And can you imagine standing before an almighty God who has made everything, who is the beginning and the end, who is all the things that God is. And you can go back to that series if you want, to the attributes of God. And you can think about all the things that he is and you will be known as he knows you. That will be wonderful. We will stand face to face and be known even as we are known. What else will we do? Well, I was, I'll be honest with you, out of jealousy, I was kind of happy to see this one, I think. We get to learn something. I think we get wisdom. That thing we've been chasing all of our lives, that thing that we try to do, that, think about the excitement when you discover something new. When you see something beautiful, when you go to a new place and enjoy creation, when you read a new book, listen to a new song, whatever it is that you are learning and enjoying and partaking, I think heaven will have a lot of that. I really do. I think we will get to be in the presence of an almighty God who made all these things. And so we get to see and experience all these things. What a glory that will be. There's another verse that's often cited in relation with heaven. 1 Corinthians 2.9 but as, but as it is written, Eye hath not seen, nor ear is heard, neither has entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them that love Him. I think it's entirely right and fair to apply that to speaking about heaven, although I don't know that that verse necessarily is. But I think it gives us a great idea of what it is that we are in store for. I could stand here today and I can try and list for you all the things. I could try in a pathetic way to explain what we will and some of what we won't be doing in heaven. I can try to get you to picture an almighty God and perfect knowledge and perfect bodies and a state without sin. But the reality is eye has not seen or ear has heard, neither has entered into your very mind the things that God has prepared for us. I have no idea. And what little bit I know is practically nothing. And so if that little bit that we've heard makes us long for heaven, then imagine how good it's going to be for what even we can't imagine. 
2 Corinthians. Getting myself confused. Back to 2 Corinthians. <laughs> Sorry. Last place this morning. 2 Corinthians 4. Seventeen and eighteen. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us far more exceeding an external weight of glory. For we look not as things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal. But the things which are not seen are eternal. I'm going to try and summarize this. Heaven is real. Heaven is perfect union with God at all times and is without end. It is forever. We cannot understand that any more than we can say we have perfect unity and relationship with God other than to say that it's true and we cannot comprehend it. That is the real reward. Reunited with God. Reuniting with God. We're no longer separated from Him. But we get to be in His presence. We get to be with Him. That is what will make heaven great. Do I think and look forward to getting to speak to some of my relatives? Yes. Do I look forward to worshiping and serving God? Absolutely. Do I look forward to spending eternity there? Yes. But by and large, what makes heaven heaven is the presence of God and the fact that I get to be in his presence and be reunited to be known even as I am known. This is what we are looking forward to. This is what heaven is. And by extension, this is exactly the absence that makes hell what it is. Because God's presence is not there. In the same way, you are separated from God in hell as opposed to heaven where you are eternally with God. So let me address one of the very early things that I said. Not everyone goes to heaven. This is not automatic. You cannot earn your way there. It doesn't matter how many good works you've done. It doesn't matter how many bad things you haven't done. It is not a right. It is not somewhere that everyone will go to. The scriptures I read, many will come to me and say, Lord, Lord, and I will say, depart from me, for I never knew you. In fact, that scripture talks about people who have done miracles in God's names. Have any of you done a miracle recently? I haven't. And laugh, but I mean, seriously. So what that scripture, what God himself is telling us is that people will be able to go around and perform miracles in the name of Jesus Christ who will not get to go to heaven. So what about you? Because I haven't performed a miracle. And if people who perform miracles don't get to go, some of them, this assumption goes back to this cartoon knowledge of the afterlife that we have and have developed that somehow everyone becomes an angel and goes to heaven. That's flat false. Most people don't go to heaven. That's what the scripture says. It says, few are the few, few are those who find it. 
Broad is the way that leads to destruction. Narrow is the way that leads to God. And only a few thereof will find it. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter heaven. That's not about riches. It's about people who are unwilling to give up the things that they have in this life to get the reward that God has for them. It is impossible without God. The only way to get to heaven is Jesus Christ and his sacrifice. It is the fact that he came to earth as a perfect human being, as part God and part man equally, that he died for our sins, that he paid the price, that he entered into the throne room of God and sat down at the right hand, having completed everything necessary for us to know him. And until we put our faith in him, until we have been convicted of our sins and fall before him begging for forgiveness, willing to give over everything in our lives, we will never taste heaven here or in the future. Simply saying, Lord, Lord, isn't going to cut it. And so as we close today, I want us to very seriously consider, do you know your eternal destination? I believe God will tell you that. I believe he speaks to us and moves among us today and he will let you know whether you belong to him or not when you sincerely seek him and ask him. And if you don't, if he says to you, you are not one of mine, you are not one of my flock or my sheep, as he talks about so much in the scriptures, or if he says, you are, have no place with me even though you call my name and do good works for me, then you need to seek after him and come before him confessing. But understand, before I give an opportunity for you to do that, it's, it's not a bargain. You don't get saved because you want to go to heaven. Everybody wants to go to heaven. This is sometimes the danger when we're working with small children. Because what child under the age of 10 wouldn't just raise his hand and say, well, yeah, I want to go to heaven. I believe. Does that make sense? Most kids will say that. What God requires is a broken heart. What God requires is true belief in Him. What God expects is that you will be changed, not because you've decided to be good, but because He has made you new. And so the absolute demand and requirement is for us to know Him. We don't do that so we get to go to heaven. We get to go to heaven because of Him. Don't ever confuse that. It's okay to want to go to heaven. I want to go to heaven. But that's not the reason I believe. The reason I believe is because he's spoken to my heart. I know that he's real. I confess to him and he has saved me. And therefore, I do look forward and long to heaven someday. But you know what I get in between? I get what little bit that my body can handle of his presence here. What little bit that I will allow God to fill me, what little bit that I will push the sin in my life out that I have to choose every single day, and I fail every single day to live according to how He wants. And you know what? He forgives me every single day. And someday, I won't have that fight anymore. That's what I look forward to. Someday, if we sleep, I don't know, and we wake up in heaven, I don't have to worry about that fight anymore. And I look forward to that. And I hope you do. And I hope you know down deep, just like you know there's a heaven, 
that you'll get to go. That you have been forgiven and that you can stand before the Almighty God and He will say, come in, our good and faithful servant.